I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kaitel, and joining me in LA as ever from back in our hometown of London is my co-host, Joe. We do, as usual, also have a special guest on the call with us too. He's the owner of Mundo Albi Celeste, where he reports on everything to do with the Argentina national team, as well as news regarding Argentine players around the world. We welcome Roy Nemer to the United Mates Football Podcast. Roy, cheers for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on the pod. And how's it going, mate? What an introduction. I love it. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. It's, uh, it's going well. It's going well. It's crunch end of uh, you know Champions League season and World Cup year and all that fun stuff. So it's it's a good time to be a football fan. Absolutely. The pleasure is all ours to have you with us. We'll probably be chatting about some of the upcoming World Cup stuff, Qatar 2022. Otherwise, before I pass things over to Joe, I, I used the word in the intro that you were very kind about, actually, uh, Roy. I referenced Argentine. And I, I, you hear Argentine, you hear Argentinian kind of used um, alternately. Is there a difference? Does it, does it matter? I don't believe so. I, I always I think the proper proper is uh, Argentinian, uh, but I've heard Argentine thrown around a bunch of times. It's I guess it depends who who you ask. Well, all right then, that's kind of cleared it up, Joe. As we record, uh, your club's one Argentinian player had an unfortunate moment against United the other day. Christian Romero celebrating in Harry Maguire's face might have actually I guess maybe been the karma that ended up sealing a, a Spurs loss, Ronaldo's hat trick and all that. So, Joe, how's Romero? working out so far for you at Spurs and and how are you doing mate? <laughs> Hello good evening Kai. Um, I really like Christian Romero or Kuti Romero as I think he's known. Um, yeah he's been he's been brilliant for us so far and you could yeah I mean obviously <laughs> that was a slightly unfortunate moment given we'd go on to lose the game but I think that's just um, that's just the way um, Romero plays with a lot of passion. He's the sort of guy if he's on your team you love him probably if he was on the opposite team to me I wouldn't like him so much but yeah no, I'm a big fan of him and then um, yeah think he will and um, he'll be a good player for us I mean we need to have a couple of good players after all um, but yeah um, it's uh, it's great to um, great to have you on tonight Roy um, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you and what we always do at the start of one of our podcasts is we ask our guests a icebreaker question so we've got an icebreaker question for you and um, what we've done is we've gone through your Twitter account, just to find something that you've posted about recently. Um, and it, don't worry, nothing too incriminating. Um, but what we saw was you did a post um, about basically Sergio Aguero. And then um, Sergio Aguero was referencing the fact that when he was 12 years old, he'd love to watch um, Raquel May play, um, a fantastic Argentinian playmaker. So um, our question for you, Roy, is when you were 12, who was your um, who was your favourite player to watch? But we'll let you have a little think about that first, Um Kai, why don't why don't I ask you first? Who, who was your um who was your favorite player to watch when you were twelve? So when I was twelve, that was actually the I think final season possibly at Highbury for Arsenal, and I think the season where we might have made it into the the Champions League final. And it was Robert Perez's last season with the club. I didn't know that necessarily at the time, but he was always one of my favorite players growing up. So I'd have to say probably Robert Perez. But if we're maybe talking about Argentinian footballers. At that point in time, I think courtesy of it might have been Pro Evolution Soccer 4 or one of the editions around then, I just had a soft spot for Rails Aragotha. They were really good at the time. And it was actually, I think, the beginning of Pablo Aymar's spell there. And they likewise had the brothers, Gabriel and Diego Melito. So they had these three Argentinian footballers. And I was a fan of that trio. So that was um, Perez and those three Argentinian footballers when I was 12. But what about you, Joe? Who was, who was your favorite player when you were 12? Well, that that season was the lasagna season for Tottenham, the infamous lasagna year. So I guess it would have to be the likes of 
Jermaine Defoe, Robbie Keane. I mean, we had some more bantery players there, like Paul Stalteri, Young Pio Lee. But yeah, I think, I think yeah, the Robbie Keane and Jermaine Defoe, those are my favourite players at the time. So I'll go for those guys. But um, Roy, what about you? Back when you were 12, who, who, who was your favourite player? Or which which players did you enjoy watching back then? I, I had a lot. I mean, like Aguero for me, Rikanmi. Rikanmi was... For me, my second, so to speak, uh, football love, if that makes sense. Uh, first one being Gabriel Batistuta, Batigol. Uh, so for me, 2002, especially considering his age and everything, for me, that was kind of like his last tournament, his last World Cup, his last matches for Argentina. So Batistuta tried to enjoy him as much as I possibly can. It can be the other one because at that point, he was with Boca and he was, I mean, Boca making the switch over to Barcelona. And he was dominating, winning Copa Libertadores and playing very, very well. So it was Riquelme, it was Bati, and then he had some other ones. You had Aymar as well, just fantastic player, obviously with Valencia, took them to the Champions League final, and that was just a good Valencia squad. And then you had, I mean, Crespo as well. I, I Crespo, Zanetti, Ajala, that whole group, that, that was my childhood, so to speak. From, from I first started watching football around 92 end of 93 beginning of 94 let's say my first real memory being the 94 world cup so from there up until 2002 fortunate fortunately enough argentina had some very very good talented players so i was them non-argentinian players aside there was one player and he ultimately ended up i mean at that point kind of broke my heart um terry henry terry henry and dennis burkham so burkham from 98 Despite what happened in 98, Burkamp, I you cannot love him. Obviously, the talent was there. And uh, Terry Henry is, uh, is another one around that time with Arsenal. We've all seen the footage of that Burkamp goal against Argentina, the, the great commentary. Likewise, a bit of crossover with Raquel May being the one to miss the penalty against Arsenal when we did make it to that, to that Champions League final in, in that season when I was 12 years old. Um, you, you sort of grew up in a pretty golden era of Argentinian football. Um, but kind of sticking with football, when we have our guests on, like to get a picture of what it was that kind of drew them to football in the first place. Things like, you know, early memories of watching or, or playing the beautiful game. Um, you've kind of told us a bit about that already, but I guess taking it really, really back um, to, to the early days, so to speak, Roy, what is your football origin story and, and why do you love football? Yeah, uh, because of two people, because of my father and because of my brother. I have an older brother, uh, and my father grew up I mean, watching Pele all those years ago. So for him, he's always been a fan of Brazil. And as a kid, he would always tell us Brazil and Pele, and Pele being you know, the best he ever saw. And my brother, who was older than me, he was fortunate enough to watch Diego Maradona. So he saw Maradona. He saw the part of the 86 World Cup and the 1990 World Cup. So in 94, uh, I was four years old uh, in 94. So that was really my first... Uh, you know, real footballing memory. So I remember watching the 94 World Cup and Batistuta's hat-trick actually versus Greece. And that was the one that kind of caught my attention. Like you have this guy that, you know, long hair and everything, just a bullet of a rocket of a shot. And despite the fact that my father is a Brazilian fan, my brother's a diehard Argentinian fan, Argentinian national team. So because of the 80s, because of Maradona. So I was kind of torn in between, you know, do I go with my dad? Do I go with my brother? And ultimately just, you know, you, you tend to, to follow in your siblings' footsteps and Argentina fans since 94 and the rest is kind of history. And I grew up playing it, uh, not very good at it. Uh, I realized I was not a good striker despite my height, uh, never a really good midfielder, pretty good fullback, but uh, goalkeeper is where I excelled. Uh, so I'm about, to give you an idea, I'm about six foot five and a half, so almost two meters tall. So for me, goalkeeper, ever since I was a young kid, I was fairly tall and I always liked the pressure of being a goalkeeper, but you know, obviously never really good enough to, to play at a very, very competitive level. But I ended up continuing watching the game and just absolutely love it. Fantastic. Well, no, that's, that's great to hear. And good, good a bit of family rivalry in there with um, the Brazil-Argentina um, rivalry, which is obviously a very famous one indeed. But um, obviously, Roy, you told us a bit about how you got into um, watching the Argentina national team. You told us, obviously, you... You play a bit of football yourself, well, you certainly did. But um, obviously, these days, you you write and report on football a lot too. So what was it about writing and reporting that appealed to you, and I suppose from a football perspective anyway? Uh, well, I realised I was never going to make any sort of career, any sort of anything out of playing. So that was kind of out of, the, out of the question. And the next thing was either, you know, do I try and become and study a coach or go into sports medicine, something like that? Never really had the patience for it. 
And uh, I just started writing on a blog for fun. And then ultimately that pastime, that hobby became to a certain degree, to a certain degree, uh, a profession. I'm not going to necessarily say a career, but, you know, been fortunate enough to, to travel enough because of it. And uh, that's essentially why I've never good enough to make it as a player and definitely don't have the brains to be a coach. Although I think everybody loves to tweet about it and, oh, you know, why make this substitution? Why play this and why play that? That's always fun, but never really tactically, tactically, sorry, astute enough to do anything in that regards. And it just, like I said, it became a passion, became a hobby just to write and specifically about the Argentina national team, just because to a certain degree, I like to think of, you know, that I have enough knowledge sort of. Uh, to speak on them, especially considering I've been watching them for over 20 years now, 25 years. Obviously not nearly as long as other people, but you know, I've watched my fair share of matches and unfortunately heartbreaks. Uh, so that kind of turned into, you know what? We're playing well, we're losing. Let me rant about it. Let me talk about it. And then one thing led to another and it's, you know, here we are. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I got into it. Oh, here we are indeed and obviously you know Kaito and I do a podcast we like to write about football too we we totally get it of course um but obviously one of the the big things one of your big projects then um, is obviously Mundo um Albi Celeste and um, which I believe began in 2006 um was that did you start it back in 2006 Roy? So yes and no so essentially what happened was in 2006 it wasn't started by myself uh, it was started by uh, someone else called uh, Sebastian Garcia a very good friend of mine based in Argentina, and he started it just as a blog, writing about the 2006 World Cup for Argentina. I discovered the, the site or the blog back in 2007, and from there just kind of started writing, you know, just for fun. He asked me if I could uh, if I could write some posts and, and stuff like that, because I was commenting several times a day on every single post, and I said, sure, why not? And just kind of started writing from there. And, uh, you know, with time, things happen, family, friends, life, life happens. So he kind of stepped aside a little bit, took a step to the side. Uh, and I really continued the site from 2007 up until now. Uh, so for the first four years or so, it was specifically just a blog. It was really just a blog. And then we had someone else come in as well who helped out in terms of making it, say, a website. So less of a blog, more of a website about four years after. and. That was it. The rest just kind of took off. And, uh, you know, so it was around 2014, the 2014 World Cup, where the website grew bigger uh, for two specific reasons. Obviously, Lionel Messi at the time was just a megastar, you know, much more established in 2010. And Argentina made the final in 2014. So people were looking for content. People were looking for news, not just specifically about Messi, but the Argentina national team as a whole. And the fact that it was Argentina in a final in Brazil. So that was that played a whole thing together it was the whole part and uh that was that was it again once more just very very fortunate that the website took off and here we are eight years later already wow eight years after the world cup and uh yeah so that's how that that's how mundo albi celeste took off well if argentina couldn't get past germany in that final at least you know the upshot was kind of putting the website into into the limelight a bit giving you a bit more of a, of a platform. And obviously the success has come since a bit. We'll talk about the Copa America recently and look forward as I was referencing earlier as well to the upcoming World Cup. But obviously Roy, you, you've built up a bit of a network of Argentina fans around the world with the Mundo Albi Celeste uh, website and, and all of the social media platforms. But on a micro level, when it comes to your life in the moment as a supporter, as someone who doesn't live in Argentina, you're living in Canada. Do, do you have friends who are also fans? You, you mentioned your brother. Um, are there people you can watch these games with? Is there a local Argentina bar in Montreal with hardcore fans who meet up to watch? Or, or is this kind of a, in the moment, a, a pretty solitary and personal experience and journey for you sometimes? Uh, more of a solitary. My interactions, yes, I have some Argentina fans here, some friends rather, uh, some friends here. We talk whenever there's a match and everything, but... A lot of it is just, like you said, it's kind of the, the network or the community uh, that I'm a part of just worldwide. You'd be surprised. I think there are more Argentina fans in India and in Bangladesh than there are people in Argentina. And I'm being very, very honest about that. Uh, it's not a matter of there's one million Argentine supporters in India or Bangladesh. There are millions, millions. Absolutely incredible. Uh, so my thing is always, you know, whenever I want to talk about Argentina, I take to Twitter or go to the website and kind of you know, interact with uh, with others. In terms of Montreal, where I'm in right now, 
uh, there is a South American community, but it's really a South American community, not necessarily just Argentinian, but you have Argentinian, you have Brazilian, you have Peruvian, you have Colombian. So it's a bit of everything. And you know, whenever there are national team matches, it's that friendly banter, so to speak. Uh, personally speaking, I cannot watch Argentina matches in public. Uh, it's too, I, I don't talk, I get very tense and the slightest thing will annoy me. So I'm one of those people where if an Argentina match is happening, I'm watching it either with my brother or alone. And I have no problems with that. Uh, no problems whatsoever, just because I can't take, I guess I can't take the banter. I can't take the teasing, so to speak. So I, I watch it alone. If we win, like we have been doing lately, knock on wood, great. You know, I'll tease people on Twitter. Otherwise, keep it to yourself. I don't, I don't want to hear anything about it. But uh, yeah, no, it's mostly just um, interactions on, on Twitter and, you know, WhatsApp groups and stuff like that. Now that, that makes sense. And yeah, I think we can all sympathize with watching games and sometimes needing a bit of, <laughs> bit of time to ourselves, especially the Arsenal and Tottenham fans, um, as Kaito and I respectively are. But um, we've actually, um, we've got a game now, Roy. Um, and it's a game that we, we often play on this podcast. It's called... Who are you? Um, if you've listened before, you might have um, you might have um, remembered it. But for Roy's benefit, we'll let you know how it goes. So basically, um, there's go- you're basically going to have to guess a mystery player. You and Kaitel together, and I will um, I'll give you one clue to start off with. Might be very vague. It might not be. We'll see. And then you're just going to have to go question by question until you can try and reveal this mystery player. The 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 common theme through these players is they'll all be related to. Um, Argentinian football one way or another we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes sometimes it goes well sometimes it doesn't but it's always worth trying okay so the first clue for the first player is 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 that he he is Argentinian but it's that at one point in his career he was Syria he was Syria's young player of the year so we'll we'll start with that no, not him. Although I think he was the defender of the year. He, he of him, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, no, not him. But I, I do love him. But yeah. Okay. Well, I, just because I have another player in mind, I'll, I'll go for a guess rather than a question. But could it have been Eric Lamello when he was playing for AS Roma? You know what, Kai? It could have been because I know he had a good season there. But that's not the guy I was thinking of. It could. I'm not going to say it wasn't yeah. him. But yeah, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Are, are we talking in the past decade? Yeah, we're talking rough, without giving it away too much, roughly like 10 years ago kind of time. Okay. Is he a midfielder? Yeah, I'd say so. Like attacking mid is what I'd say. Okay. Uh, I, see, now I'm worried because I want to say, and then I, I, I know some people strongly disagree and say, no, he was not, you know, he's not a midfielder. He's not attacking midfielder. He's in that bit of a hybrid. Dybala? No, not him. Not him. A player, a player I'd love to see play for Spurs, but no, not him. This is a, this is a guy. He's not. I'll just. He's not playing in Syria currently, but he is still playing professional football. So, <laughs> there we go. Young player in Syria. Was he? Was he at one of the like Champions League clubs in Italy? He when he won this award. He was actually at a relatively small club, but then he would go on, he would move in a fairly high-profile transfer to a big club in another league after that. So yeah, part of me wants to, because you, you just picked the league with the most Argentines in it. I know, well, you Ooh, know. I, I think I know who it is. I think I know who I it is. I have a guess, but go ahead. I think it's uh, Pastore. You're right, Kai. Yeah, Pastore. Yeah, yes. And of course, yeah, we've yeah, been playing yeah. for Palermo. Yeah, he was. He was, playing, he was playing for Palermo at the time. Um, he obviously went to PSG, then came back to Syria with Roma. And apparently, I didn't realise this, is actually at Elche. Is that Elche, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fun, um, yeah. fun fact. Sorry, not to cut you off, Joe, but fun fact. Well, maybe not so fun. A big, big reason why Pastore actually made the 2010 World Cup team for Argentina was actually because of his agent. Really? Oh, yeah, there's some some rumors and some unofficial reports that the reason why Pastore actually made the team in 2010 was his agent wanted to try and get him a higher, you know, get him to a, a higher club, so to speak, and it would help his profile if he was a World Cup uh, squad player. God, the power of agents is is unbelievable in a, in modern day football. But um, thanks for that, Roy. But yeah, that um, that's our first guy, and um, you got it. Well done. Now we move on to my second player, and this guy is an Argentinian footballer. 
He still plays to this day, but he was actually part of the squad that won a gold medal for Argentina at the 2004 Olympics back in Athens. So there you go. That's my that's my sort of clue or collection of clues, however you want to go with it. He's still playing part of the 2004 Olympic squad? He was in the 2004 Olympic squad and he's oh, okay. still playing to this day. Let's see. I'm pretty sure uh, Martin Palermo has retired at this point, right? <laughs> I think he must have done. Yeah, yeah Palermo was uh, actually coaching. Um, let's see, 2004, you had Mascherano, you had Colocini, both of which retired. You had Tevez. Tevez is mildly active. I don't know if he's the one you're talking about, but Tevez he's, is mildly active. He's not, what, what I'll say, just say he's, he's well known, but he's not, he's not like a, I wouldn't call him an Andres artist. Alessandro. Andres Alessandro. That you know what that is technically right because he was in that squad and he is still playing and we'll, we'll, there'll be more D'Alessandro talk later actually but okay. not but it's but it's not it's not it, it is him but it's not him it's not the guy I'm thinking of is it Rodrigo Palacio it is not, I got it no. Willy Caballero yes it is it. brilliant that's fantastic yeah I was um I obviously know that he's um. He's quite old now, Caballero. I didn't realise back then he was... I, I don't think he, he was just in the squad. But obviously, yeah, he's um, he's at Southampton still. So we've played the odd game recently when and they had some injury problems. But I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah, been a bit of a, a feature in the Premier League um, in recent years. But yeah, that was that was great, Roy. Yeah, yeah. Willie Caballero. Yeah, he was part of the... If I'm not mistaken, he was the starting goalkeeper for Argentina at the 2001 under-20 squad when they won it. Oh, really? Okay. So he's yeah, got some got some silverware in the... Yeah. In the early noughties for Argentinian teams, fantastic. Okay, well, I've got um, I've got one more player for you. This is an interesting one, actually. It'll be interesting. It it's either one where maybe you'll just get it immediately, or it might be quite tricky. But um, this is a player who, in the twenty first century, he's he's Argentinian born and he's won the World Cup, but not for Trezeguet. Argentina. Trezeguet. That is. Cameronetti. Oh, you got. It. You got it. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Um, that was something I didn't realize actually. Kai, did you know that um, Mario Camerinesi um, was is Argentinian? I think that um, one I heard. But are you also saying Roy that Trezeguet was born there? His parents certainly were. He grew oh, up Trezeguet's there. parents. He's eligible. He was eligible. Yeah, because he played. I think Trezeguet. He started his career in Argentina, and then he played. Certainly played for River Plate at some point. Maybe towards the end. I think um, did Camerinesi finish his career in Argentina as well? He, uh, no, I don't believe he did. Okay. He he he's. He, I think weirdly, Camerinesi started his career in Mexico, um, but then he's he might be managing in Argentina now. But yeah, that was that was something I learned today that was new. But Royce just got in there and absolutely destroyed that question, which was, um, very, <laughs> it was one very, or the other. <laughs> I, I just googled uh, Camerinesi went after Juventus. Apparently, played for Stuttgart, but then he did go to Lanus and he finished at Racing Club. So I, yes. I think in in the back of my mind somewhere, I think I was aware of the Camerinesi thing. But Roy, uh, at the end of the day. Passing. You got two of these and I got one of them. So congrats. It's, <laughs> it's a team effort. It's a team effort. <laughs> <laughs> you're, Fantastic. You're very very well, uh, diplomatic, Roy. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, no, that was, yeah, we're, we're impressed. Definitely impressed. But um, now we're, we're going we're gonna to move on to actually talking a bit yeah. about um, Argentinian domestic football and the Primera yeah. Division. So obviously, I guess from um, a European perspective anyway, I think everybody knows about Boca Juniors and River Plate, the, the rivalries, you know, undoubtedly on the most famous in the world um yeah. but i guess what would be really interesting um roy is what what is the um, the current state of the argentinian domestic league and aside from those two teams who are, who are the other teams that people should be watching out for in, in the primera division i mean well historically speaking it's the top i mean top four top five so you have boca you have river uh some call us to the entes as another one number five and it's uh, independiente and the racing club those are like the top four slash top five uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, right now, the state of Argentine football is, let's say it, it, it has seen better years. Uh, it has seen better years. Uh, financially speaking, a lot of the players, I mean, Julian Alvarez being the perfect example, but um, a lot of the players tend to go to Europe very early on in their career, or these days, a lot of them go to the MLS in North America, in the United States. So you had someone like Ezekiel Barco who went to uh, Atalanta, sorry, Atlanta, Atlanta United in the United States, MLS, got, you know, his money, so to speak, came back and he's present with River Plate. Christian Pavon, another one who was part of the 2018 World Cup squad, 
uh, went to the LA Galaxy and everything. So the state right now, it's, it's all a matter of money. And financially speaking, Argentina cannot, is, cannot compete anywhere near with anybody from Europe. And to a certain degree can compete maybe even less uh, with Brazilian clubs. And for whatever reason, uh, right or wrong, Brazilian players, uh, and I'm not saying this really just like in terms of I'm biased, but Brazilian players tend to go at a higher price, at a higher premium than, than Argentinian players, no matter what. And maybe it's agents, maybe it's historically speaking, you know, whatever the case may be. But even at that, what happens is a lot of the Argentinian players, you know, they'll score a couple of goals or they have an agent or they're owned by, let's say, a third party. And then they end up going let's say to, to the MLS or somewhere in Europe, uh, someone like, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but Adolfo Geich. Adolfo Geich uh, played for, if I'm not mistaken, San Lorenzo. And he was part of the Argentina under 20 team and the Olympic team and a, a big striker, your typical old school number nine. And his, you know, he had one good season with uh, San Lorenzo. And after that, he went to CSK Moscow and not a good fit at all. And he was on loan uh, in Italy didn't go too well and now his career is kind of you know all over the place and unfortunately that's that uh, that's the that's the 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 reality let's say of Argentine football not to say that there aren't any good players or are not any good teams but historically speaking when you compare them to the early 2000s or the 90s it's not the same it's it's not the the case at all Um, the big big gem being Julian Alvarez who's going to join or who has joined Manchester City in the summer so He's the big, big star right now uh, in Argentina or coming out of Argentina. Well, that's interesting, actually. Obviously, you said Julian Alvarez is um, on his way to City. And obviously, you've also said that it's not the best time for Argentinian domestic football. But I guess it it would be great to yeah just hear a bit, given that he's on his way to the Premier League. Can you tell us a bit about Julian Alvarez, just how good a player um, a Man City buy? He's a... I'll say this, he's a great player, a tremendous player, in my opinion, along with Paulo Dybala, probably Argentina's best export since Sergio Aguero, and that's a big saying, in terms of attacking talent, I'm not talking anything else, but in terms of attacking talent, the raw talent is there, the potential is there, he knows how to link up play, knows how to hold the ball up uh, well, uh, deceptively quick, he's, he's pretty quick and a very intelligent player, uh, my only thing is, and we saw this for Argentina, the he had about 15, 20 minutes in a World Cup qualifier recently for Argentina versus Uruguay, where he was substituted in. And you could tell the level where he was up against, you know, the the, the European-based players from Uruguay. When he was up against them, you could tell a little bit he was missing a step, which is normal, uh, which is normal. But that's the difference in quality, the difference between the European players that have been there for a while in comparison to the ones domestically in South America. Now, that's not a knock on Alvarez. He's still very young. And, you know, he was up against Uruguay, which is a very, very strong team as well. Uh, For him, Manchester City are getting a great player, definitely one for the future, a very versatile player, can pretty much play almost anywhere up front on the wing up front or second or supportive striker secondary striker um my only thing is physically it might take him a bit of time might take him half a season or a season to adjust uh, to the premier league which you know i think is normal especially for for a young kid coming over from from argentina or south america i mean if you look at gabriel jesus nothing against him but he didn't exactly set the premier league you know on fire when he made the switch which is normal Uh, so i think City are getting one for the future. If they want one to make an immediate impact, he certainly could. And I truly hope he does. But um, I think it might take him a, a year or two just to fully adjust to, to City and the Premier League. But he's definitely an incredible talent. It sounds like whilst he might not yet quite be the finished article, he's definitely a player that City fans should be getting excited about and that he probably has one foot already maybe on the plane to Qatar at the end of this year speaking of what are argentina's national sides prospects do you think going into this tournament you'd assume it's messi's last international tor- tournament period uh, it's the one trophy he hasn't won in his career basically now that he can you know check the copa america off of his list that team that won the copa america with the likes of christian romero um, I think Montiel at right back as well. It was kind of like another one sort of um, who's shown that Argentina and their defense at the very least at this point are, are a pretty strong unit. Um, what do you make of the squad 
um, as the likes of Messi, perhaps Di Maria are on their way out. Alvarez is on his way in. And then there's these guys like Romero, like Montiel, who might be sort of mainstays in the, in the team for the next few years. Yeah, it's, it's definitely optimistic, definitely optimism, sorry, uh, surrounding the team, especially when you compare them to 2018. You mentioned Messi. This is in all likelihood his last tournament uh, for Argentina. There was, um, there was an interview up, actually, I, I translated a couple of days ago. I can't remember the player. Uh, I think it was Emiliano Martinez, sorry, uh, the Aston Villa goalkeeper, um, where he said, uh, he said something along the lines of, at the Copa America, Messi told the boys, he told the team, this is my last Copa, like this is it. So I think, you know, this is, he knows it's his last tournament. Uh, there's that experience of Messi, of Di Maria, uh, and of Otamendi. And then you have the younger players that you mentioned, like Romero and Montiel, and maybe the not so younger players like Mano Martinez. But the fact that this team was able to do something that in the past 28 years, no other Argentina team was able to do, and that was win something. And not only did they win the Copa America, but they won it against Brazil and in Brazil. And look, I don't care what anybody says, is, you know, this tournament should have been held a year prior, this or that, doesn't matter. This team was able to get that monkey off their back and they were able to get the win. And that in and of itself takes a lot of pressure off them. There are 27, or I believe now 28 matches uh, unbeaten, undefeated, which is, it's a great record. It's absolutely a great, great record. But at the end of the day, if they don't win the World Cup, it's going to be a great experience and a great memory, but that's the main goal. I think the team has enough experience, has enough uh, talent, enough youth to make a deep, deep run. Um, you know, previous years, I would have said, yeah, this is a quarterfinal team perhaps, but the fact that they were able to win the tournament, win the Copa America, uh, I'd say, you know, this team could make the semifinals and in the semifinals, you never know what can happen, right? I mean, look at England. You guys made the, the Euro 2020 finals. So there you go. That's that. So who knows? Who knows what could happen at, uh, you know, at a tournament and especially in the semifinal? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it certainly looks like Argentina have a, a really strong chance. And obviously, if they did go on to win it, what, what a story that would be with um, it likely being Messi's final of the tournament. But um, yeah. on the topic of Messi, I mean, we can't not discuss him when we're having a podcast about Argentinian football. But um, it's obviously been... Um, it's been a weird season for him, hasn't he? He signed for PSG, he left Barcelona, and then obviously it just it hasn't gone to plan for PSG. They've been knocked out of the Champions League, um, which obviously yeah. was not the plan. And then it, to make matters worse, just yesterday, and as we were recording, Messi and Neymar as well, to be fair, but Messi was booed by his own fans, if you could believe such a thing. Um, so, Roy, clearly... It's it. This move hasn't really worked out for Messi. It's not necessarily his fault. But my question for you is: next season, where do you think Lionel Messi will be playing, or where would you like to see him play? I guess that, with especially with this World Cup coming up, I imagine Argentina fans want Messi to be in a good place. So yeah, what do you think's next for him? I think he stays in Paris at least until the next year. I think contractually speaking, there's no way PSG is going to let him leave. Um, you know, nothing against PSG. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, sports is business and Messi brings them a lot of money. Whether he gets booed or not, you know, tourists are going to go watch him and fans are going to go watch him. So that's going to bring in the money for them. I think he stays in Paris. He stays with PSG. Personally speaking, where would I like? Uh, I've been watching Barcelona since uh, about 2002 uh, as a supporter, actual, actual supporter since 2002 because of Riquelme. Uh, so as a Barcelona supporter, I would very much love to see Messi back in the Blaugrana, but that's not going to happen, at least not, not next year. So I think he remains in Paris. Um, his season has been a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, you know, everyone knows, I don't think it's any surprise, you know, if I say Messi never wanted to go to PSG. I don't think that's much of a surprise. Uh, I think he was kind of forced out of Barcelona, obviously. The only thing that could get him that could afford him at the time was PSG. So he went there. And he never had a preseason start of the season. Uh, he got injured while with Argentina against Venezuela. He got a, a kick, a stomp. So that kept him out for a while. He played injured. New team, new league, especially at, at his age. Yeah, I know we're talking about Messi, but at his age, it's still something. And then COVID. And I'm saying this as an Argentina fan, but Pochettino is not the right guy for PSG either. So it's a, it's a mixture of a lot of stuff. Uh, it's a mixture of a lot of stuff. And look, could he do a bit more on the pitch? perhaps who knows you know you don't know the mental aspect of it all it's it's fun and it's easy to go on twitter and criticize this player or that player i've done it I mean, i'm sure pretty much everybody you know everyone's done it but um it's not easy i would imagine and uh, i'm sure 
he probably would prefer to be at Barcelona right now. But at the end of the day, he's there. And personally speaking for me, at this point in his career, I don't, and I say this with all due respect, my focus for Messi right now is Argentina. So if he can get to, to the World Cup in great shape, I don't care if he scores zero goals with PSG. If he reaches Qatar in good shape, by all means, I have no, you know, no problems with that. I'm surprised that you didn't want to see him lining up uh, for your local Montreal impact. Very realistic transfer, <laughs> I'm sure, that, that could have happened now. I'm just kidding, of course. But yeah, well, too cold probably for a, yeah, a bunch of the South Americans, you'd think. Um, yeah. But speaking of canada canadian football yeah it's a pretty exciting time with the likes of you know in particular jonathan david and alfonso davies playing in you know in europe and two really really exciting young players the canada team are doing quite well i think recently beat the us who are always kind of like a a main rival and historically speaking kind of have been the superior north american footballing nation um kind of in recent times but that's looking like it's actually quite a close fight at the minute what is sort of the perspective on football in Canada these days has there been a big upsurge in the attention that people are paying to the sport and um, with obviously and uh, looking ahead even further than the 2022 World Cup to the following one when it's going to be split between Canada the states and, and Mexico what might that look like for Canada yeah uh, you know unfortunately for Canada um, or fortunately you know the team's making it to the World Cup and and fun fact the last time urgent sorry the last time Canada qualified for a World Cup was 1986. I'll let you uh, figure out who won that tournament. Uh, but no, as for as for Canada, um, you know, unfortunately, the media coverage here has been nothing. Uh, it's really been zero. Uh, the matches are not shown on television. Uh, barely any highlights. Unfortunately, unfortunately speaking, if you want to watch the Canadian or you know the Canadian national team play. More often than not, you have to find, or you have to pay, obviously it's a paid subscription. You have to find it online, you pay and you watch. There's very little coverage of it on television or even in the media, uh, unfortunately speaking. And which is sad because, you know, the team pretty much made it to the World Cup. They've qualified uh, or they're on the verge of, of qualifying. And the team, there's there's no talk, there's no support. Uh, you know, I've lived in Canada for, for years now and the, you know, ice hockey here is the main thing and and the youth ice hockey you know, the olympic teams and everything and it's massive it's absolutely massive and rightfully so i get it but when your national team makes it to a tournament as big as the world cup you would like to see some sort of coverage or some sort of support which is not the case um, but you know credit to the team they've been able to, to manage they've got some good players and moving forward to 2026 this is a big stepping stone for them I mean, qualifying for qatar is huge massive and who knows, uh, you know, who knows, you got a lot of kids and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of immigrants in, in the country, Canada's mostly immigrants. So a lot of them are Latinos or Africans or Asians or whatever it is. And they play football or as they call it here, they play soccer. So it's the cheapest sport, right, to, to play. You don't need too much equipment as opposed to something like hockey, which costs a fortune every single season. So a lot of kids end up playing that. And now, you know, if you watch the Canadian men's team, in football, you say, wow, you know, okay, I, I want to be like this person, I want to be like that person. And ironically enough, the Canadian women's team has been great for as long as I can remember. They won uh, gold recently in, in uh, last year, actually at the, at the Olympics, they won gold. Uh, they've always had a strong team, but even at that, the Canadian women's team doesn't get much coverage. Uh, it's mostly it's mostly hockey here and, and American football and even even some basketball, some some NBA, very little coverage of uh, Canadian football or soccer. Seems like the talent as far as um, soccer or football in Canada is on is on the up. And as you mentioned, yeah. it just seems like the media attention needs to kind of catch up with um, with the men's game over there, realistically, and the women's game too. If anything, the women's team have actually been pretty good for 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 a while now, actually. So um, yeah, Canada, start watching more football. Um, time for a final quick game and um, whilst Argentina has produced goats like Maradona and Messi there have also been some less spectacular footballers to come from the very same proud footballing nation and so as Joe and I are lifelong fans of the, the Premier League we've seen a few of these players kind of grace the top flight of English football and so Roy what we would like you to help us do is to pick an Argentina English Premier League collab banter five-a-side team there are some decent names on the list don't get us wrong but 
these are players who were probably criticized more than they were praised during their time in England. So you'll pick a, a keeper, a defender, two midfielders and a striker. Joe and I have the names for you to choose from. If we've missed anything, feel free to throw it in. But um, I'll start with the, the goalies. So from these four names, Roy, who, who's going to be the keeper in this kind of Argentina Premier League banter five-a-side team? And it's the likes of Willy Caballero, Paolo Gazaniga, Julian Speroni, and Sergio Romero that you'll be picking from. I mean, Romero's solid. Romero's probably the best number two any goalkeeper or any team could have had. Speroni was at Crystal Palace forever, it appeared like. Gazaniga, he's with Fulham now, right? I think second division. Or he's sub sub goalie at Fulham, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, I mean, Caballero, poof. if I'm talking, if I actually want to win the match, I would go with Romero. Okay. I actually want to win. Well, uh, we'll we'll stick with Romero, I guess, in, in that case. And maybe um, we'll find some more, more humorous names elsewhere in the squad. Go for it, Joe. Okay, well, um, we'll move on to defenders now. We've got a few names for you, um, but we we can only we can only go for one. As this is a, is a five side team. If, yeah, there might be a few players in there. We might have been harsh putting them in, but you know, banter. Can, it doesn't have to be bad. They can be good banter as well. But here we go. We've got Marcos Angeleri played for Sunderland for a bit. We've got um Linel uh, Linel um, Scaloni, who's of course the head coach um, at the moment. We've got my personal favourite on this list, ex Tottenham left back Maurizio Tarico. Um, we've got a bit of a legend in the northeast of England for Sunderland and Middlesbrough, Julio Arca. We've yeah. got another um, another Sunderland defender in Santiago Virgini, and then we've got a player that had a good career. Just well, actually, even in England, he wasn't so bad. Martin Dimichelis. Um, we've got a guy who's had a good career, but he was not good for Tottenham in his one season there, Federico Fazio. Um, we have a guy who was at Everton at a similar time, Ramiro Funes Mori. And then finally, actually, this guy's a bit of a legend, but he's a pretty bantery, if not just for his amazing hair, um, in Fabrizio Colaccini. So that was quite a few names there, Roy, but was there any name that sprung to mind that you'd like to stick in um, our five-a-side banter team? Oh, my God. Um... There was a lot. There's a lot. I know we can re- if we if you need if you need a quick um refresher, we can do that. Just oh god. Oh boy. Michael Sandaleri was all due respect to that was a failure. That was a failure <laughs> from the very beginning. Uh I'm surprised you guys didn't didn't pick the red card. I, I love him by the way, the red card merchant, Marco Srofo. That's another one. Uh <laughs> oh yeah. Colletina, I think wasn't too bad. Uh, Arsenal, didn't you guys have uh, Nelson Vivas at one point? Yeah. That was a little bit like right slightly before my time, but it, yeah. but it he was actually good though, so he doesn't really necessarily belong on this list. Uh, I would say I would say Michel Martin Demichelis. I think for me is probably the the better one, but you know what? Aesthetically pleasing. He had long hair. If you're into that, but then then again, so did, <laughs> so did Marcos Angeleri as well. I think he had some long hair. Vergini was a well, no way. Uh, that's that's not happening. That's not happening. What are some of the other names? We had um, Federico Fazio, um, Ramiro Funes Mori, Linel Scaloni, Maurizio Tarico. Uh, did he even oh. play for Argentina? Did he play for the national team? Ever? I don't believe. I don't believe he did. No, yeah. same with I don't Arca. think he was. Yeah, I mean, he was barely good enough for Tottenham. So <laughs> in Argentina, yeah. probably not. And then yeah, Julio Arca, Julio Arca, who actually, who actually was even he was good. He was good at that. He was, time. He was good. He played for the yeah. under twenty team. He was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he scored some. Yeah, a great left foot on him, which um, as a left footed player, I can appreciate. But yeah, Kai, um, how about we um, how about we move on to the midfielders? Yeah, let's, let's do it. it. I'll go, you know what? I'll, I'll go with just because I like him, and maybe lesser known to some, maybe some people. I'll go with uh, Arca, Julio Arca. Ah, oh, he's my guy. I, I I want someone. I actually want to win this match, so we'll see. But I feel like midfielder wise, I I, I think I know who's coming. Unfortunately, <laughs> well, let me roll out the um the blue and white striped carpet, I guess, of, of midfield uh, names yeah. for you. Um, this first guy had a brief spell with West Brom. He's actually playing in the MLS these days. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Blanco is the name. Yep. We've got yep. Mauro Zarate, who I remember, I think it would have been Birmingham maybe where he first popped up and actually was quite exciting. And I think since might have then played for the likes of Watford and West Ham with a bit less successfully. Um, we've yep. got Angel Di Maria, who, you know, Manchester United aside has had a fantastic career, but that didn't really work out. And he doesn't look back particularly fondly on his time at Old Trafford either. Uh, oh. A name that makes me smile because it almost feels like it was part of a 
time in the Premier League that didn't really happen. The whole Blackburn Venkies situation. Mauro Formica makes the list. I saw him score. Yeah, Joe's seen him score, so he, he is real. Uh, it wasn't just a figment of my imagination. Um, Bruno Zuccolini makes the list. Not sure he actually ever lined up for Man City in any competitive Premier League games, but was technically um, contracted to the club for a while. And his brother, Franco, um, I remember um, I signed him on Football Manager ages ago and actually became randomly one of the best players in the game, which I don't think has actually happened in real life for him, unfortunately. Um, speaking of things not maybe panning out the way you might have expected, Ricky Alvarez is another name. In fact, I think that turned into a legal battle um, with Sunderland, given his injury situation. Um, a name that actually, uh, Roy, I think you were the first one to mention on this podcast so far, is uh, Andres D'Alessandro, who showed up at Portsmouth to keep them up. Again, did a really good job, but just personality-wise and whatnot, maybe maybe might uh, be fitting for a banter 11 or banter five-a-side team, I should say. Uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, who kind of underwhelmed at uh, Tottenham. Likewise, Eric Lamella, who did the same. Um, you get to pick two of these names, and if there's another name I haven't mentioned, you can you can throw that into. Um, so trying, I know there was Claudio Jacob. He played for West Brom. Yeah, West Brom. That's it. Uh, but no, out of out of those, I mean, D'Alessandro was talented and he knew how to fight. <laughs> Mauro Zarate had some problems with a lot of players, specifically, I mean, at the under-20 World Cup with Argentina, he had oh, some wow. problems. Uh, those two, although Zarate is more maybe a attacking midfielder slash striker, but it's, uh, we could put him in there. Um, shoot. What are some of the uh, some of the earlier names you mentioned? Um, Sebastian Blanco, Angel Di Maria, Mauro Formica. Bruno Zuccolini, Ricky Alvarez, um, Andres D'Alessandro, Giovanni Lo Celso, Eric Lamella. Okay, let's go with, uh, you said you signed Franco Zuccolini, right? Football manager? Franco I signed, yeah. Yeah, let's go Let's go with his brother Bruno. Let's give him that match. <laughs> let's never do got. it. Let's, let's do go it. with that. <laughs> and then a partner for uh, Bruno in the midfield. Oh my God. Yeah, I want, I want someone, I'd love to see a 39 or 40-year-old Andres D'Alessandro yeah, picking up so. with someone. Let's go, D'Alessandro. We got to go with him. Let's do it. I like the balance there. Joe? Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy D'Alessandro's made it in. That's good. Um, okay, so we've got one position left in the team, and it's a striker. We've got an interesting list of names here, which will be quite fun to read out, to be honest. Um, we've got Emmanuel Villa. He was part of the worst Premier League team of all time in Derby County. We've yep. got Mauro Baselli, played for Wigan for a bit. Um, again, didn't have the best time over in England. We've then got a sort of big... Well, big transfer flop in Guido Carrillo. Southampton spent a lot of money on him. It didn't work out. We've got Gonzalo Higuain on there as well. Obviously a fantastic footballer, but by the time he got to Chelsea, eh, I'm not so sure. Um, we've got Luciano Vieto, who was at Fulham fairly recently. We've got a bit of a legend on here, um, the former, former Everton striker, Dennis Strakwalasi. He was a bit of a unit, if I remember correctly. We've then got um, Franco Di Santo, played for a few teams in England, still well, plays in Turkey, I think, now, potentially. We've then got a bit of a, a lower league legend who eventually played in the Premier League in Luciano Becchio, played for Leeds and Norwich. And then finally, we've got um, a guy from the early noughties. I think he was famous for scoring a few goals with a mask on, and that was Facundo Sava. Um, so you've got... We can read them out again if you need to hear them again, Roy. But any anyone screaming out to you from that list? Well, I'll say this: If I'm looking, if I if my team has a one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper and I don't want to score, I'd go with Gonzalo Higuain. Let's put it that way. Uh, if, Very true. <laughs> to be fair to a couple of them, I mean, like Mauro Bosali, he's done pretty well in Argentina career-wise. Just in England, hasn't worked out. Um, I'll tell you an interesting story about Franco's about Franco Zuccolini. I mean, about Franco Di Santo, which was funny enough in uh, 2012, 2013 on the on the FIFA games. I'll play them. I'll do career mode and I try and build just. An Argentina team in career, and I actually signed Franco Di Santo. I remember it was with Valencia, and I was just scoring. And every time I would play FIFA, and he would just score and score, and I'm, you know, I'm very happy. And then that entire season, he actually started getting called up to the Argentina national team. So I'm a fairly stupid, superstitious kid myself. So I said, you know what? Every time Argentina's playing and Franco's on the squad, I'm going to play some FIFA and get him to score. So, you know, he played some matches and some matches and ultimately never, you know, he didn't make the World Cup squad, but he played a couple of World Cup qualifiers for Argentina and the friendly, I believe. 
so, you know, I, I like Franco Di Santo. He's a good kid, uh, played in Germany a little bit. Uh, Chelsea, played for Chelsea, and I think Blackburn, was it? Uh, uh, was it Blackburn? I can't remember. Yeah, Blackburn uh, Wigan. and Wigan, Wigan as well. Wigan, 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 sorry. Uh, I'm going to go with Franco Di Santo just because he reminds me a little bit about myself. Tall, skinny, kind of lanky, not particularly too, too good. Sorry, Franco, if you're listening to this. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with Franco Di Santo just because I trust him over any of the other strikers uh, you mentioned, including uh, Gonzalo Higuain, who played in that 2014 final, which took an insane amount of alcohol uh, consumed in me just to forget that final. So uh, we're going to go with Franco Di Santo on that. The ultimate goal, ultimate Premier League striker, no matter what anybody says. Uh, Harry Kane was the next Franco Di Santo, put it that way. <laughs> Ironically, at one point, they were probably seen in a similar light, sort of you know, <laughs> 10 years ago when they were both young, young up-and-coming strikers. But yeah, Kayem, do you want to just read out that banter five-a-side team for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. So in goal, we've got Sergio Romero. Uh, one defender is Julio Arca, good for the set pieces. We've got Bruno yeah. Zuccolini and another one who'll be staking a claim on those free kicks and corners, Andres D'Alessandro in midfield. And then Franco DeSanto who sounds like is kind of Roy's footballing doppelganger in another life. Um, so pretty decent team. Joe, how confident would you feel lining up against these guys at Power League on a, on a wet night? <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd be a bit scared. Like you said, D'Alessandro seems like the sort of guy that could square up to you if you, <laughs> if you like by accident, like fouled him or something. I mean, the hardest part is probably going to be getting a goal past Sergio Romero, but you know, I'd, you know, maybe maybe you'd have a chance. Maybe you would, but um, happy happy with the team we've um, we put together there. Sadly, though, that is um, that is all we have time for today. So, as always, um, big thank you to my co-host Kaitel, and then an even bigger thank you from the both of us to Roy for joining us. And um, we've honestly had a great time chatting with you, Roy, about Argentinian Argentinian football and all the rest of it. But um, we've hope you've had a good time. And also, um, before we end, how can our listeners best follow you and everything that you're up to at the moment? Yes, uh, on Twitter at Roy Nemer, uh, Roy N E M E R, uh, and then MundoAlbiCeleste.com. Um, if you don't, if you're not sure how to spell it, because I know it's in Spanish, uh, check it up. <laughs> it's on my Twitter. It actually means well, Albi Celeste is the nickname for Argentina, the sky blue and white. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, at Twitter at Roy Nemer or mundoabiselesse.com to get your everything related to Argentina, everything from the players to the goals to the assists to the transfers to the injuries to uh, December uh, 2022 when they win the World Cup. Make sure it's going to be a big, big celebration on there uh, when they defeat England in the final. It's going to be massive. I'm joking. Like, England's going to make the final. I'm all kidding aside. Uh, no, but uh, it's going to be on there. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Roy. Best of luck with everything that you're up to and good luck as you've already, I guess, predicted Argentina's success at the end of this year. They might not need the luck. Um, as far as our listeners, if you enjoyed this, please do follow us wherever you like to stream your podcasts. Just look for United Mates Football Podcast. You can find us the same way on YouTube if you feel like putting some faces to these voices. Don't forget to click that subscribe button while you're at it. On Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, we are at United Mates FP. So give us a follow there. And then for all of that content and more in one place, visit the website. That's unitedmatesfp.com. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye. <laughs>